The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. You are one. You are the one and only. And we come today to Your Word to hear from You. And I pray, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, would You do a work in our hearts today to cause us to love You with everything that we are? Would You grow that in us today? Father, Son, and Spirit, there are some here who do not know You. Call them. Save them, please. Most of us here, though, Lord, do know You and call out to us. Draw us to You. Woo our hearts. Show us some of who You are that we would be amazed. That love would grow in us. Do that work, I pray. Father, would You commission Your Spirit today to run in our midst and exalt the Son to convict us of sin and show us His amazing grace. Give life to Your Word. Speak to our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Shema, which we just heard sung there. The Shema is that Hebrew word for hear. It's one of the most important passages in all of the Bible in that it calls men and women, boys and girls, everywhere, all of us, to hear, that is to obey, a single critical commandment. The great commandment. And it is an obedience that comes from the heart to love the one and only true God with everything you are. And my prayer, the, the goal towards which I'm preaching this morning, is that that love would grow up in you individually, and that that love for this one true God would grow in us as a people, that we would be lovers of the one lovely one. It is most honoring to Him. It is most what He most deserves. And it is what we are made for. It's what resonates in our heart, being that we are His creatures. That's what I'm working towards today in our first of two weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to deal with the whole passage today, looking particularly at what it has for us as people, as individuals. And then next week, I'm going to pass back through it again to look at the parent-child relationship and use it as an opportunity to talk about what Deuteronomy expects of parents, especially fathers and their kids. You, you see it in that song there. It's expected that adults would hear and love. 
and that because of that, then children would. So next week, we're going to look at parents and kids, and this week, at us ourselves. So I'm going to read through the text, all of chapter 6, and then pass back through it to make sure that we understand what's going on before making a couple of observations. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. 
And He brought us out from there that He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. The Word of the Lord. Chapter 5 ends with Moses recalling how God would tell him the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that He would then teach to us. And now Moses says, this is it. It's coming right up. The whole commandment. And notice that commandment is singular in verse 1. Just like it is in verse 25. It's singular. Which points out something important. When thinking about the law of God, there are all kinds of extensions and extrapolations, extrapolations and contingencies and subclauses and the various statutes and rules and commandments in the plural. All kinds of different stuff. And we're going to have to, as we go through the, the months following, work through all those things to understand them and what they mean for us now under Christ. There's all kinds of stuff. But, in a very real sense, there is only one single commandment. All those other things are like spokes coming out from a, from a, a hub in a wheel. And the central core issue can be fairly summed up in one single great commandment. And it's coming up in just a moment. But before Moses gets there, he's got an introduction for us. Verses 1 to 3. He says, I have the Lord's commandment for you. That is, his statutes and his rules, etc. All those things which you are to keep as you cross over into the Jordan River. Cross over the Jordan River into the land. Remember, all of Deuteronomy takes place on a single afternoon. It's kind of hit the pause button here and he's He's got a whole book here of a final instruction before they cross over the land, cross over into the land and, and conquer it, as was promised. This is Moses' last word to them, this whole book. And he's reminding them of these commandments from God that they are to keep if they're going to receive this promised land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to his faithful seed. And he connects again the obedience and the receiving of this blessing, of this land of rest and of plenty, of peace. So here's the commandment, keep it, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your children after you. Connecting again to last week, fearing the Lord. Remember, that's essentially solemn, sober-minded reverence of Him. This fear is lived out in keeping the commandments. Obedience to this commandment leads to blessing. And here's the commandment, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Meaning the Lord, probably in your English translation, it's in all capital letters. That's His name. It's His proper name. And as you hear the song, it's Adonai rather than Yahweh because Yahweh would never be pronounced because it is His name. And of reverence, they would never say His name. So they use another word, Adonai. But it's actually His proper name. The Lord, our God. This Lord is one. Meaning that He is the solitary and unified one. Basically think of it like this. The Lord is the one and only. He's not one of the gods, like the nations would have thought. It's not that all of those various gods are different manifestations or representation of the Godhead and that's Him. No. 
He is the one and only. In that culture, nobody would have had any problem talking about Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. He's a real God. As long as we also talk about Ra, the God of the Egyptians, and Baal, the God of the Canaanites, they're all real gods too. If we have that kind of a conversation, how everybody in every little locale has their own real God, then we can certainly talk about Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. But he says, no. I'm the one and only, and anything else that calls itself a God is false, demonic, idol. I am the one and only. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Lord. And therefore, here's the commandment. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. That's the commandment. And if you think about it, it's easy to see why it is the commandment. It's the whole ballgame. It's everything. You can hear the Ten Commandments in that statement. Did you hear the first commandment? You shall have no other God before me. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet or love anything else in place of me. It's, it's the Ten Commandments wrapped up. It's the whole law. It's the Bible. It's the commandment. These sentences are... These sentences are so critical, it's impossible to oversell them. It's what Jesus said. What's the greatest commandment? This one. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. Total focus in the heart. Men and women may look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Isn't it interesting that we're here in the law, talking about commandment, and God goes at the heart. The greatest commandment is about what you love on the inside, not what you do on the outside. It comes out in what you do, of course, but it's about on the inside. This, these words must be on your heart, says the next verse. Inside. And you must diligently teach them to your kids. We're going to focus on that next week. There's a lot to say here and throughout this whole book about passing this on to the next generation. We're going to go there next week. You must teach this to your kids and, verses 8 and 9, bind it onto your hands, onto your head, onto your home. Which unfortunately has been taken literally by many people and therefore missed. This is not about tying something onto your wrist or onto your forehead. command to love the Lord with your total being should be in your heart and it should be on your hands and written all over your face and hung like a banner over your house. It's got to be inside and it also has to come outside such that when you reach out your hand in society to act, what's right there on you but this commandment and it steers everything that you do. And when people bump into you on the street, they'll see it written all over your face. And when they come to your house, it will be the mood, the decor of your house. You will be controlled, compelled by your total love for this Lord. That's what he means. That's the commandment. In your heart and in everything in your life which is obvious and reasonable given that He is the one true God. And don't forget this in the midst of His blessings. 
Verses 10 through 19 elaborate on that. God blesses, and when a certain, when to a certain degree rest and ease, and His bounty comes to you, don't forget Him. Verse 12. And begin to chase after other things, after other gods, because He will strongly oppose that. It will arouse His anger because He is a jealous God. We talked about the jealousy of God back in dealing with the second commandment. Oftentimes, in our way of thinking, jealousy is something that's wrong. And many times for us human beings, it is wrong. But even in some of our relationships, jealousy is appropriate. A husband should be jealous for the love of his wife and vice versa. That's appropriate. God's like that. He's jealous for the one who is vowed to love him. And if that gets broken, if that love is dished out to something else, He will oppose it. So don't test Him, verse 16. Like you did previously, He mentions this incident at Massah where they had doubted God, doubted His provision, doubted His care for them, and so they had rebelled against Him. Don't do that. Don't go there. Do not test Him in unbelief. Instead, diligently keep the commandments. I have more to say about the, the final paragraph next week, but notice a couple things. It sets the context. When your son asks you, your daughter asks you, Dad, Mom, what, what's, what's the deal? I mean, we know we're supposed to do all this little stuff here, but what's the big deal? Then you tell him the story of deliverance. And how he delivered us to be his people who obey him by keeping this commandment. And if, 25, if we keep this commandment, it will be righteousness to us, son, daughter. That's the passage. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to love the Lord our God with all of our being, with everything that we have, as He has commanded us in His commandment. That's the text. Let me summarize it with this sentence. Love the one true God for your blessing. Put our whole chapter in a sentence. Love the one true God for your blessing. I'm going to make three observations towards that point. We can begin with God and what He requires of us. And this is obvious, and so it's going to be a little shorter. First observation. The Lord requires that we love Him supremely. He requires especially those of us who claim His name. He requires that we love Him supremely. Obviously, this comes right out of 4 to 9, the commandment. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love Him with everything you have, with everything you are, all of your heart, soul, and strength. Steadfast, strong, not wavering, not divided, love me. which obviously does not mean that we can't love anything else. Because the Bible commands us that there are other things we're supposed to love. Husbands, love your wives. Parents should love children. There are other things to love. It's a question of order. And while you're loving those other things, are you even in the moment supremely loving Him? Are you loving your wife, but really loving Christ supremely? You're loving your kids, but really loving God supremely? It's a question of order. 
He is to be loved supremely, above, through, and in everything. There could be no divided heart. No, I love God on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and in my random times of prayer and at other times, if you bump into me in the marketplace and see me stretch out my hand, if you bump into me walking down the street and look at my face or come over to my house, you will see on my right arm my other lovers. Catch me in a religious place. I love God. None of that. Love Him. Supremely. Above all things. I hope as you're listening to this, the connection with last week is becoming clear. Fear of the Lord? It's the same thing, just a different word. It's getting at the heart and what is first in here. This passage that has love Him at its center, three times talks about us fearing Him. Same, same thing. Just 2, 13 and 24. Same basic idea. He's supposed to be at the center, which is entirely reasonable given who He is. The, the context for this commandment is the story of His deliverance. His work of bringing His people out of bondage in Egypt and into a promised land of blessing. What he mentions in verse 3, right before the commandment, describes it in 10 through 12, all the bounty that he's going to give them. That you did not make, that you did not build, that you did not fashion. I'm going to give it all to you. Look at what I've done. It's what you're supposed to remind your children of. We were slaves in Egypt and the Lord with a mighty hand performed amazing things right in front of our eyes so as to bring us out of there and bring us into here, son, That's what He's done in our behalf. With great power, He has acted to deliver us. So keep the commandment. You see how this is set up? This is who He is. Keep the commandment. This is what He's done. Love Him. Makes perfect sense. But the problem is, as much as that makes perfect sense, problem is that what happens in our hearts is that which is supposed to display the awesome, gracious power of God on our behalf, the, the things that are supposed to be evidences, so often when our fallen hearts bump into them, they become the things that we love. We get diverted to them. The commandment is clear, total love, and the threat is also clear, 10 to 12. What does he say there? Watch out that you don't forget me in the midst of what I give to you. I'm going to give you cisterns and houses and vineyards and all this. I'm going to give it to you. I'll be careful that you don't forget me and get caught up in the stuff that I give. You get caught up, bent towards loving and find the contentment and satisfaction in the house that God has given you, not yourself, not your job. The health that He has given you and sustained. The position of prestige or influence that He's given you. The spouse that He's given you. None of it comes from your own hands. All of it meant to be evidences of His graciousness to us. Watch out. When those things are threatened, what do we do? Oh, we run to Him and we pray. God, help. God, provide. God, please come through. And when He fixes it, very often we run back in the other room and play with the toy that we now 
seem put back together. So often, sometimes, sometimes kids, if, if you're a parent, you've had kids, maybe you've had this experience, I've had this experience, sometimes a child will come to you and say, Dad, let's, and they'll scan the room looking for something to do. Let's read this book together. You know, how to build cabinets or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Because they really want to be with you. And they're just scanning for some excuse to keep you pinned down right here so they can sit on your lap. They want you. And at other times, they come wandering in from outside with the broken toy fix. You put it back together, they're gone. Because what they want is a fixed toy. You're a hindrance to what they're doing. If you follow them outside, they keep walking. Right? Too often, we are the latter. Watch out. When you sit down with that thing that I've provided for you, or when I put it back together for you, watch your heart. Because you will be tempted strongly to run off, chase and fear and love other things. Sometimes even the very things that should be evidences of my blessing to you. This is dangerous for us. This habit in us is dangerous because while He commands us to love Him supremely, we need to see something. If we don't, we will miss His blessing. His real blessing. That takes us to the second observation. This one should be familiar in its basic form, but I I pray that as we drill into it a little bit, the magnitude of what God is saying will pierce you. Here it is in the basic statement. should sound familiar. The blessing of God is contingent upon keeping this the great commandment. The blessing of God is contingent. It, It hinges on, it's based on, Rooted in, it's contingent on us keeping this great commandment to love the Lord with all of our being. Deuteronomy says this repeatedly, constantly talking about how the blessing of long life in the land, of rest and peace and dwelling with God, this picture of what the land would be, how all of that blessing is hinged on the people following hard after, clinging to, holding to Him in obedient faith. And our passage says the same thing. Verse 2, fear him and keep his commandments that your days may be long. Verse 3, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as God has promised. And if you don't keep the single focused fearing love of him, but instead go after other gods and fear them and serve them. Verse 15, the anger of the jealous Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you off the face of the earth, which would be the opposite of blessing, would it not? So, 16, don't test him. Love him above everything. Verse 18, that you may take possession of the good land that he promised to give to your fathers and to their seed. That he may preserve you alive. The whole thing is clearly set up with contingency in it. Almost every time the blessing's touched upon, it has a so that or in order to. 
connection there. Contingencies all over this. This is critical for us to see, not because we care at all about living in Canaan. We don't. I don't want to live in Tel Aviv. I don't want to live anywhere within range of Lebanon, frankly. I I don't want to go there. I don't care about living in Canaan, and you don't either. You live here. And so if we just see this as, you know, okay, they're supposed to do this so that they can live there, well, who cares? At this point, we need to be clear about something that we talked about several times, but it's been several months ago. Perhaps you've forgotten, or maybe you weren't here then, and I need to just briefly touch on this. You want to jot down a couple of passages to kind of check this later. You could write down Psalm 95 and especially Hebrews chapter 4. But the point is, this promised land that they're poised on the brink of and they're about to physically cross into and physically conquer and physically live in, and this whole story that the people physically delivered out of physical slavery in physical Egypt and physically led through the physical wilderness to cross over this physical river into the physical land, the whole thing is real. I mean, you can find it on a map. It's real in time and in space. And that whole thing is a concrete prophecy pointing ahead at a spiritual reality. Pointing ahead at a spiritual deliverance out of a spiritual slavery to be spiritually led through a spiritual wilderness to cross over into a spiritual land of spiritual rest. That's the point that Hebrews 4 makes. Picking up on Psalm 95 and it asks this obvious question. If David, a thousand years after they entered into Canaan, if David is still talking about when we enter the rest, then Canaan isn't it. The rest is still to come. If I invite you over to come visit with me and we're sitting down in the living room somewhere, and I say, you know, one day really you should come to my house, then you just realize something. Whoever's house we're in isn't yours. I thought this was your house. I guess it's not. Because you just said that one day I should come to your house. One day... We should, really should, enter that rest. And if we're in Canaan when we say that, Canaan's not it. There is a spiritual rest to come. A place where people will dwell with God in rest, in peace, in hope, in joy, in bounty, spiritually. There's a place where that will happen. Sum it up by saying heaven. That's coming yet. We need to be clear on that. I hope it was clear, although I'm trying to crunch a lot into a paragraph there. We need to be clear on that because while we're talking about love the Lord your God with all of yourself, if you want to experience the blessing of the promised land, we are not talking about physical Canaan. We are, but we aren't. Follow that through. You don't want to live there, but you do indeed want to dwell with God in His promised rest. You do indeed 
want to live with Him in peace and joy and safety forever and ever and ever and ever. And if you want that, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Be careful to keep this great commandment, and if you do, it will be righteousness for you. Verse 25. You will be in right standing before God and a recipient of His blessing if you keep that commandment. And if you do not love Him with everything you are, you are breaking the commandment, and all that remains is the aroused anger of a jealous God, judgment. Which should... Strip us all naked before God. Did you hear that? And think all that through. It should strip us naked before Him. With every mouth silenced. And no excuse. Because what He requires in the one commandment is a heart attitude of total Love. All my heart, all my soul, all my... Who am I kidding? Who are you kidding? We don't live anywhere near there. There's no way on earth I can convince anybody who knows me fairly well, let alone knows me through and through, there's no way on earth I can convince anybody that I have loved Him everywhere with all of myself in everything my hand has done in everywhere I have gone in everything that's happened in my home in the middle of the night all by myself all you have feared and served and followed the values and ideas and aspirations and hopes of the world you have Your heart's been wrapped up with today's toys and gadgets and activities. You live to please the other creatures around you and taking your cue from them as to what's right and how you should live and what you should say. What's in your garage and the line item in your checkbook condemns you. What you say on Tuesday morning in the workplace condemns you. How you treat your kids on Thursday night condemns you. And so, what hope is there? None in yourself. And we've got to see that. We've got to stop trying to dodge it or deny it or soften it or, or put some gloss finish on it to make it look nice and shiny. Now, for many of us here, not all, there are, there are some here that have not yet resolved this problem. But for many of us here, probably most... You've been forgiven, and there's a struggle kind of going on in your mind right now. You're, you're kind of saying, well, I'm talking like this. You're kind of saying, yes, but... Come on, Steve. I mean, Yes, but... Uh, that's true, but I'm forgiven, aren't I? Come on. Why be so harsh? A little heavy-handed, huh? To which I want to respond with my own, yes, but. Yes, if you're actually a Christian, your instinct is right here. If you're actually a Christian, you are forgiven. But, 
Don't run on to that too quickly. Don't skip over what I was just saying and run on too quickly to the forgiveness because, think about this, Jesus once said something. He who has been forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Think about that. And as we think about that, we're at a really important crossroads here in this sermon. Because I said at the beginning that what I was praying towards and the goal towards which I'm preaching this morning is to see grown in you as a person and in us as a church this kind of love for God, the one and only God. That's what I'm after, not simply informing you that you're supposed to love Him like this. What I'm after is actually this love to grow in you. And one of the chief means, if not the greatest, one of the chief means that God uses to grow your love for Him is first to grow in you your awareness of the wretchedness of your own heart. Think that through. I'll say it again. One of the chief means that God uses to grow this kind of love in you is first to grow in you your awareness of the wretchedness of your own heart. And the more you get in touch with that and see it, then it will seem to be amazing grace that saved a wretch like you. A lot of us sing that hymn and really don't think it's true. I'm true of that person. Not me. I know some wretches here in this church. I try to avoid them. He will seem all the more merciful, all the more loving and lovely, that He would deal with you in such kindness, with you in such kindness. That He would act to choose you and call you and justify you and sanctify you and glorify you. Even you, who reads the commandment, the commandment, and says, nope, willingly, constantly. That He would love even you. We commit high treason every day. And He yet acts to forgive and love and pour out grace on us anyway. As the Apostle John said, we love because He first loved us. And you see your wretchedness, you see His love, and His love seems all the more greater, all the more higher, all the more amazing. And it will fuel love in us. So don't Yes, you're forgiven, but don't run on. Don't move away from the commandment and the requirement and the contingency. Let it fall on you. And then, from beneath that, look and contemplate what He has done about it. Which brings us to the third observation. Here's the third point. Trust the faithful Son who did keep this commandment for our righteousness. Trust the faithful Son 
who did keep the great commandment for our righteousness. And let's approach this by asking a question which may at first seem unrelated. Here's the question. What is going on in the first half of Matthew chapter 4? You might want to turn there and look at it if you're not familiar with it. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, let me give a little bit of the context. I'm asking the question, what's going on in the beginning of Matthew chapter 4? And you might get a hint of that if you were to just look at the printed pages from Matthew 1, 2, and 3. And you would see a number of places where there are indented quotations. And if you were to look at a little more closely, you'd see other places where there are not indented quotations, but there are quotations nonetheless. Numerous quotations from the Old Testament. Matthew's working on, through the first several chapters, let me show you how the Old Testament lands in Jesus. Let me show you how this was prophesied and Jesus fulfills it. Let me show you how this was out there and He completes it. Constantly. Isaiah said this. Hosea said that. It's Jesus. Out of Egypt I called my son. Interesting. Hosea means Israel. His son Israel. Matthew says it's really about Jesus. The spiritual real Israel pointing ahead to the true son, Jesus. Called out of Egypt as a baby. Matthew connects the two. So Matthew chapter 4 is still on that same vein. It is not. Matthew 4 is not trying to teach us how to respond to temptation. It's not trying to, to give us a model for fasting or something. It, it's revealing Matthew 4, beginning Matthew 4, is revealing another important connection, Jesus, to the Old Testament prophecy. How he fulfills what God was talking about back there. What's going on when this Son of God is called out of Egypt, Matthew 2, Hosea, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He wasn't there for 40 years like the first son was. He was there for 40 days. And then in the wilderness, this son is tempted by Satan. What happens? Satan tempts him. You perhaps know the story. I'll be brief with the story. Satan tempts him with provision, tempts him with power, prestige, ultimately the possession of all the glory of the earth. I'll give you everything. All of this I'll give you if you will bow down to me. There's the question. If you will bow down to me, will you worship, fear, love, and serve me? That's what Satan wants. You, son. Yeah, God's led you out here. God's put you right here. He's promised a whole bunch, but you don't have anything, do you? You don't even have water or food. I'll give you everything if you will bow down to me. What do you say, son? And where ancient Israel said, Forget God. We'll go after you. We want the stuff. And where we say, well, forget God. We'll go after you. We want the stuff. This son says, this true son says, three things from the book of Deuteronomy, two of them from our passage. Chapter 6. The commandment lives in his heart, is born upon his face, spread large over all of his life, as he says in Deuteronomy 8, man does not live by bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. And from chapter 6, Satan, it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, and you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Be gone, Satan. I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might, even here in the desert where I have nothing in my hands, I have Him in my heart. 
I keep the great commandment and it is righteousness for me. That's Jesus. Matthew 4. He is the only one who keeps the great commandment. He's the faithful son. True and righteous, perfect and sinless. And hung on a tree and cursed anyway. Deuteronomy says it's a curse to be hung on a tree. Why? You know, you know why. But it says here in chapter 6 that if you keep this commandment, it will be righteousness for you. And if you don't, then the anger of God's aroused against you. Why was the anger of God poured out on this faithful son? Connected to how the anger of God cannot be poured out on me, unfaithful son that I am. Why is he cursed and cut off from the land of the living? For our righteousness. To trade with us. For the purpose of a great exchange with all who trust him, he will give to them his righteousness and take on them the curse. Take from them the curse due to them. That's the purpose of the cross. It's the glory of Christ crucified. That in the wisdom and power of God, He would send one, God the Son, to earth who would keep the commandment and die cursed anyway, so that others can be forgiven. So that His righteousness can be transferred onto us, written on my account, written on your account, if you trust Him. This is what Jesus is doing when He hangs on the cross and dies. It is love for us. But the reason that it is love for us is that it removes guilt from us. It removes the anger of God from us. And submitting to Him, you can find yourself righteous, forgiven, cleansed, and receiving the blessing of God. Because of His righteousness, not your own. So trust the faithful Son who kept this commandment for our righteousness. And if you are here today and you have not trusted this Son, you need to hold all of these points in tension. You need to hold. He demands absolute total love. And I don't even remotely offer that. What am I going to do? The only thing you can do is hide yourself in Christ crucified by faith. Trust Him. He'll pay for your sin and give you His righteousness. Trust Him. There's only one way to become righteous before God. It's not by working really hard at loving Him better. 
It's by trusting Jesus who loved him perfectly and died to pay for your sin. Trust him. And for those of us here, I know that most of us here, as I said, you're, you're forgiven and you know that. But this is, this is the message that washes us, that cleanses us. This is the message that God uses to change His people. We don't become more like Christ. We don't come to love Him more by trying harder to love Him more either. We become more like Christ, loving the Father with everything that we have, by contemplating, by looking at and contemplating how much He has loved us, therefore we love. We love more when we realize how much we've been forgiven. So Jesus teaches us. So we work ourselves at times when we're tempted to sin, at times when we're struggling. We work ourselves back into this message, back into the gospel message. We look at it. We weigh the temptation. We weigh the struggle, whatever it is, against what He has done for us. And pray, God, lift up Your delivering, loving grace in my eyes and cause me to see it as amazing as it is. Do that. Because I'm tempted right now to, to just think it's nothing. And to be really wowed by the gadget. Or intimidated by the problem. Lift this up and you look at it and you pray. And by grace, He will grow you bit by bit. Instantly, no, bit by bit. We're people about the gospel. It is His chief tool to cleanse us. To sanctify us. And we should also, as we think about what He has done, we should also look ahead at what He will do. Brothers and sisters, think about where this is going. Think about where this is going. Some of you are in the class on heaven. You'll be enabled to think about where this is going for several weeks. But think about the fullness of the promise is coming. There will be a day when all of that rest that now is only partially here and a little bit in the heart, there is a day of full rest that is coming. You will dwell with Him, physically dwell with Him. He will fill your heart. Every tear will be wiped away. Every trouble will fade. Every temptation will pass. The commandment to love Him with everything will no longer be a struggle. It will be a joy. Because everywhere you look, there will be evident, obvious reason. And it will connect with your heart and your heart will soar as you see Him still more awesome than you know right now. And that will go on for age upon age upon age, never to be exhausted. Because the fullness of His riches are never exhausted. His glory is never contained. It is not finite. It goes on and on and on. And there will be more of Him to love than you've ever imagined. You will see some glimpse 
10,000 years from now, how lovely He is. And 20,000 years beyond that, you'll see more. He is a glorious God. The one and only. He commands us what is most blessed for us. He commands us to love Him. He commands us to fasten our hearts to the one true God for whom our hearts were made. What a good commandment. Thank God it is the greatest one. Thank God that He has acted to enable us to stand righteous before Him, to grow in keeping it, and one day experience the fullness of it forever. Love the one true God for your eternal blessing. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, one God. We praise You. We thank You and we plead with You. We praise You that You are God. You alone. You are good that You are full of grace and mercy, and that You first loved us though we were yet sinners. We praise You. We thank You for that and plead with You to open our eyes to it and cause us to marvel at it. To see all the other problems in life in perspective from that stance, linked arm in arm to a God of love. Make that clear to us, Father, Son, and Spirit. Grow us in our love for Christ, individually and as a church. To His glory, I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.